AFF on Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day and welcome to episode 75 of AFF On Air. It's the 11th of December 2021. Coming up in this episode, how to upgrade your Qantas or Virgin Australia flight. Is it worth becoming an Accor Plus member? And I'll be joined a little later by the owner of AFF, Clifford Reichlin. But first, let's begin as always with a roundup of the latest Australian airline travel and frequent flyer program news from the past fortnight. And firstly, Queensland will reopen its border to vaccinated travellers from the declared COVID-19 hotspots of New South Wales, Victoria, the ACT, Greater Adelaide and Catherine from next Monday, slightly earlier than planned. Travellers coming from declared hotspots will need to get a negative COVID-19 PCR test within 72 hours of travelling to Queensland, before travelling that is, and will need a second test five days after arriving in Queensland as well. But no quarantine will be required except for people who have been overseas in the last 14 days. Tasmania will ease its border restrictions next Wednesday as well, and the Northern Territory will remove quarantine requirements for vaccinated travellers on the 20th of December. This will leave Western Australia as the only state in Australia to still have closed borders by Christmas. WA has not yet announced a date when it will reopen its border to Victoria, New South Wales, the ACT or South Australia, or people coming from overseas. And in fact, the Western Australian Premier has announced that he may delay naming a date to reopen due to concerns about the new Omicron variant. And speaking of Omicron, the discovery of the new coronavirus variant has led governments around the world to reimpose harsher travel restrictions, unfortunately, while we wait to learn more about the the new variant. New South Wales, Victoria and the ACT have added new self-isolation requirements for people returning from overseas, albeit only for three days at this stage, not the full two weeks of hotel quarantine. But the federal government is now requiring Australian citizens returning from nine countries, including South Africa, Namibia and the Seychelles, to do two weeks of hotel quarantine when returning to the country. And non-Australian citizens who've been in any of those nine countries during the past fortnight are now banned from entering Australia. Hopefully, though, this is just a temporary measure to buy the government some time, although there is currently no end date on that. Virgin Australia has posted a stunning $3.7 billion statutory profit for the 2020-21 financial year, despite only making around $1.5 billion in revenue from its airline and loyalty businesses in the same period. But there's a bit more to this story than first meets the eye. I mean, it sounds absurd that Virgin can make more profit than it made in revenue in the same year. But while the result was lauded by some commentators as evidence that Virgin Australia is now making money, it's actually posted a $77 million underlying loss for the last financial year. And the main cause of the large profit was actually just the $4.4 billion benefit it got from creditor claims that were wiped out when Bain Capital uh, purchased Virgin Australia out of voluntary administration last year. The City Morning Herald reported that as of the 30th of June this year, Virgin's current liabilities still exceeded its current assets by around half a billion dollars. 
Virgin Australia will return to the Sydney to Canberra route at the end of January after a hiatus of almost two years. Prior to the pandemic, Virgin Australia regional airlines operated multiple daily flights between Sydney and Canberra using a fleet of ATR-72 turboprops. But with these aircraft offloaded when Virgin was in administration, the airline has since lacked a suitable aircraft for the route. Virgin had scheduled double daily Boeing 737 flights onto the route, which were going to start earlier this year, but these were cancelled before the first flights even took off. And actually, in the meantime, Rex has come in and started flights of its own on this route. The thing about the Sydney to Canberra route is that you need to be able to offer lots of frequencies with flights throughout the day. But there's not enough demand on the route to run multiple 737 flights every day. That would almost certainly be a loss-making exercise. And Virgin now only has Boeing 737s in its mainline fleet. So it's partnered with the small regional airline Link Airways, formerly known as Fly Corporate, which will operate the Canberra to Sydney flights on behalf of Virgin Australia using its 34-seater Saab 340 aircraft. Those are the same types of planes that Rex uses. Link Airways will run up to nine flights per day for Virgin. The flights will have a VA flight number and passengers will receive complimentary tea, coffee and water on board. Customers will also be able to earn Velocity Points and Status Credits and redeem Velocity Points on the route. Westpac, St George, Bank of Melbourne and Bank SA will all cap the number of Qantas points that can be earned on their co-branded Qantas Frequent Flyer credit cards from next year. Starting from the 1st of January 2022, Qantas points will only be earned on the first $100,000 spent on these banks' platinum credit cards per calendar year where the customer opts into earning Qantas frequent flyer points. On signature or black credit cards, the cap will be $250,000 in spend per year. At this stage, earning on these banks' credit cards that don't earn Qantas points remains uncapped. Flybuyers has added two new retail partners with Flybuyers points now available to be earned at Bunnings Warehouse and Officeworks. You can earn one Flybuyers point per dollar spent at both retailers, and you can also now redeem Flybuyers points for Bunnings or Officeworks gift cards. However, you cannot earn points, unfortunately, at the Bunnings Sausage Sizzle as this is considered a donation and is ineligible to earn points. Velocity Frequent Flyer is giving bonus points and status credits to members who make a Hertz car rental booking by the end of December. You can earn 10 bonus Velocity status credits on the first Hertz car hire booking that you make between the 6th and the 31st of December 2021. For eligible rentals that begin and end between the 6th of December this year and the 28th of March 2022. To take advantage of this offer, you would need to book a Hertz rental through the dedicated Virgin Australia Car Trawler website and enter your Velocity membership number at the time of booking. Bookings made directly with Hertz are not eligible for this offer. Qantas Frequent Flyer is working to fix an error that saw members earning fewer points than they should have when staying at Accor Hotels. Under the new partnership between Qantas Frequent Flyer and Accor All, members of both loyalty programs can earn three Qantas points per Australian dollar spent on Accor hotel bookings in the Asia-Pacific region. But this has initially been calculated incorrectly, with members reporting that they are only earning one Qantas point per euro spent. Anyone who missed out on points will automatically receive a top-up of the remaining points in the near future, though, and this will be backdated so that nobody misses out on points. 
Avianca's Life Miles program is currently running its best promotion on buying miles so far this year, with up to 175% bonus life miles awarded when you buy miles until the 13th of December. You can redeem life miles for flights across the Star Alliance network, although booking flights on the Life Miles website can be difficult sometimes, to say the least. Many other frequent flyer programs are also currently offering bonus miles on purchases, including American Airlines, Alaska Airlines, Qatar Airways, and Emirates. And Cathay Pacific will merge its Asia Miles loyalty program with its Marco Polo Club program next year. They'll soon both be operating under a single program called Cathay. Until now, Cathay Pacific has been one of the only airlines with separate loyalty programs for earning and redeeming miles and for earning status. The changeover will happen in around July 2022. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. You can stay up to date between podcasts by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning. Turn your bills into business class with the SNP app. Whether it's an ATO bill, rates, utilities, phone, school fees, body corporate or any of the other 60,000 plus bills with a BPAY biller code on it, you can pay it with SNP and earn full frequent flyer points for your credit card spend. You can use your Visa, MasterCard or American Express to pay bills with the SNP app and pay just a 1.5% processing fee including GST. There are no other hidden fees. The 1.5% processing fee even applies for American Express payments. Now that's just 0.05% more than the ATO's card payment surcharge for Amex. And with SNP, you'll earn points on your Amex card at the full everyday spend rate and not the reduced rate that you'd normally get at the tax office. SNP also has some convenient features. You can connect your emails to the SNP app and have your billers automatically added to the app when they arrive in your inbox. You'll then get a handy push notification when your bill's ready for payment. You can pay the bill on the spot, schedule it for later, set up an instalment plan or create a recurring payment. And you can even use Apple Pay or Google Pay. So it's no surprise why SNP has processed more than $150 million worth of bill payments and counting. It really is the easiest and most rewarding way to pay your bills. With tax time in front of us now, there's never been a better time to try SNP. Simply download the free SNP app on your mobile device and enter the code AFF10 on sign up for $10 off your first bill payment. That's SNP with two I's, S-N-I-I-P. What's the best way to get an upgrade on Qantas or Virgin Australia? Well, if you suggested dressing up or writing a romantic poem for the pilot, it might be time to stop reading the Daily Mail. But if you said upgrading using points or bidding for an upgrade, you're on the money. Everyone loves an upgrade, so I thought it would take a little bit of time in this episode to explain exactly how you can get an upgrade to premium economy, business or first class when flying with Qantas or Virgin. And let's start with Qantas. Now, there's two main ways to upgrade on Qantas flights. You can request a classic upgrade reward, or there's also the Bid Now upgrades. Bid Now upgrades is where you can bid a combination of Qantas points and money uh, for an upgrade and um, in kind of a silent online auction. And then if your bid is accepted, you'll be emailed sort of the day before the flight. Now, to be honest, I haven't seen these being offered much at all over the past year or so. On paper, they still exist. They're still advertised on the Qantas website. I just haven't um, seen 
seen any of these being offered recently. Um, but if you want to check whether your flight is eligible around a week before the flight, you can log into the Bid Now portal on the Qantas website and see if your booking is eligible to bid for an upgrade. And if so, you can try and place a bid. Although um, with Qantas, classic upgrade rewards are processed before bid now upgrades. So if you have Qantas points, then probably a classic upgrade reward is going to be a better option. Now, I'll talk more uh, shortly about how to decide how much to bid if you want to bid for an upgrade uh, when I talk about Virgin Australia, because the same strategy there really applies with any airline. But yeah, for the most part with Qantas, the best option is upgrading with points. And officially, Qantas calls this a classic upgrade reward. But you know, of course, it's quite commonly known as just a points upgrade. Now, the number of Qantas points you'll need is based on the charts on the Qantas website, the classic upgrade reward tables. And this is based on the distance of the flight and the type of fare that you originally booked. You can upgrade from most fare types, including even if you've booked originally an economy classic flight reward or a premium economy classic flight reward, um, which is like a, a, an award booking, except you cannot upgrade on Qantas international economy sale fares. But to give you an example, on the Sydney to Melbourne route, um, if you booked an economy ticket, which was a classic reward, you could upgrade to business for an additional 13,000 points. If you've booked originally an economy ready deal, then it would be 10,900 Qantas points to upgrade to business. And if you originally booked in flexible economy, it would be 5,400 Qantas points. And to be honest, that's a pretty good price. So if you've got a flex ticket anyway, um, you might as well try and upgrade for that price. Uh, and I would point out that upgrades are always per sector. So if you've got a, an itinerary with multiple flights in it, you would need to um, request an upgrade on each individual leg and um, you would need to pay individually for an upgrade on each flight. Now to request a, uh, an upgrade using Qantas points, you can do this on the Qantas website by going to manage booking and or selecting upgrade when you log into your frequent flyer account. Or if you have endless patience, you could also try calling the Qantas call center. But um, since you can do it online, I would definitely suggest um, uh, trying online first. You can also request an upgrade at the airport or in the lounge on the day of the flight. Although if you upgrade at the last minute, full catering might not be guaranteed. So you might be offered like the last meal or you might not even be offered a meal at all on the flight. In general, you can only use Qantas points to upgrade on Qantas marketed and operated flights. There are some very limited exceptions with Qantas code share flights that are operated by LATAM or Air Carlin, but in general, it needs to be a Qantas aircraft and you need to be booked on the QF flight number. There has been some talk of One World Alliance wide upgrades coming, and these should have been implemented already, actually, but for whatever reason, it ha hasn't happened yet. It looks like this has been delayed. So for now, it is basically just Qantas flights. So what's the trick to getting your upgrade request approved? Now, the process is different for Qantas domestic and international flights. So I'll start with domestic. Uh, and domestic's definitely a lot easier. With um, Qantas domestic flights, your upgrade request can actually be approved instantly if there's currently business reward seat availability on your flight. So if there's a U uniform class seat available or however many seats you need you're looking to upgrade for, um, if there's enough seats available, the upgrade will be confirmed immediately. 
If there's no availability though at the time you request the upgrade, you can waitlist. Now waitlisting doesn't necessarily mean that your upgrade will instantly be approved as soon as a classic flight reward in business class becomes available. Waitlist upgrades only start to be considered a few days out from the flight if there are still empty seats available in business class. But if a reward seat becomes available in the meantime between when you requested the upgrade and um, before Quanta starts processing those waitlisted upgrades, you can cancel your upgrade request and then put in a new request and that will be confirmed instantly um, if there is now a business class award seat available on your flight for domestic flights that is. So if you are waitlisting for an upgrade, it's definitely a good idea to keep an eye on that business class reward seat availability. And an easy way to do this, if you have an expert flyer account, for example, is to put an award seat alert on your flight so that you'll be notified as soon as a seat does become available. Um, if possible, though, of course, it's a good idea to check for business reward seat availability before booking. And so if you've got a choice of different flights and one of them has business class award availability and one of them doesn't and you know that you're going to want to upgrade, then obviously you can try and book the flight um, that has the award seat available. So that's for domestic flights. What about for international, though? Well, international is more of a lottery and it's unfortunately a lot more difficult. Upgrades on Qantas international flights only start to be confirmed about a week out from the flight and that's only for platinum one members if you're a platinum member it might only be a few days out for gold members it's even closer to departure and upgrades as you might have guessed are processed um, based on your status tier so priority is given to Qantas frequent flyer members with the highest status so that means that if you're a Platinum One member or you have a family member who's a Platinum One member and they requested the upgrade um, on your behalf, then um, you probably have a pretty good shot if there are still empty business class seats available or premium or first class seats on the flight. Um, if you've been Platinum, if you're a Platinum member, then you know, you're know you next down in the priority queue, gold down a little bit further and so on. So if you have bronze status, unfortunately, that does mean there could be a lot of people ahead of you in the queue. And upgrades on long-haul international flights can be in quite high demand for obvious reasons. So yeah, it is a bit of a lottery. If you want to improve your chances though, uh, it's always a good idea to try booking a flight that has lots of empty seats in business class. Um, so for example, again, if you've got a choice of flights, you could use Expert Flyer to just check the availability of seats for sale in each of the fare classes on the prospective flights that you're looking at. And while this doesn't give you a complete picture, it, it won't necessarily tell you exactly how many seats are sold or unsold. It can be helpful. So you might be able to compare some flights and work out that one has fewer business class seats left for sale than the other one. And that could inform your decision about which flight to book. For example, if a flight still has lots of seats for sale in the lower fare classes like D and I, which are the um, the lower business class fare classes on Qantas, the chances of getting an upgrade to clear will be higher than a flight that only has a few or no seats left in full J class. Now, if, that, if this doesn't make any sense to you, what I'm saying about fare classes, it might be worth doing a bit of research because that is really key to... Um, to working out which flights to book if you want to upgrade. And there are some articles available online and there's one even on AFF about this. Um, alternatively, if you happen to be a frequent flyer solutions business or first class member, this is explaining quite a lot of detail actually in the frequent flyer training. So you might want to have a look at that. So that's Qantas, but what about Virgin? Well, with Virgin Australia, there are three main ways to upgrade. Again, using velocity points is a very popular method, but you can also bid for an upgrade and that um, the bid upgrade system with Virgin is alive and well. And Platinum members can also get four annual complimentary upgrades. So if you have Velocity Platinum status, you get four free upgrades every year into business class. 
Now let's start off by talking about um, those points upgrades. So like with Qantas, Velocity offers points upgrades on all of its flights where business class is available. Um, although you do need to be careful about which type of ticket you're booking. So you can upgrade on Virgin Australia from an economy choice fare or an economy flex ticket, but not from economy light, which is the cheapest category. And you also cannot upgrade if you originally booked an economy reward seat using points. On the Melbourne to Sydney route, using this as an example again, it costs 10,000 velocity points to upgrade from an economy choice fare or 4,900 points to upgrade from economy flex. So it is a little bit cheaper actually than Qantas. With Virgin, all upgrades on domestic and international flights, and this is good news, can be confirmed instantly if there are business reward seats available at the time of the request on the flight. So again, just make sure that you check for business class award availability before booking your flight. Um, if there are no business reward seats available, you can still waitlist for an upgrade. But the same thing happens here as with Qantas. Those waitlists are only processed in the week or so before the flight. So if a business reward seat becomes available in the meantime, um, your upgrade waitlist won't necessarily clear. So the best thing to do then, again, is to cancel your request and put in a new one and just keep an eye on that, um, you know, sort of periodically until, uh, until the date of departure. Velocity Platinum members also, as I mentioned, got get four complimentary upgrades per year, which can be used on any Virgin Australia domestic, international, short-haul, or trans-Tasman flights. Um, they were never able to be used on Virgin long-haul international flights, but actually Virgin doesn't have any of those anymore, so um, it is actually now pretty much covering the entire network um, where business class is available. Again, upgrades are available um, and, you know, you can have your upgrade confirmed if there's a business reward seat available on the flight. So just check before booking that there's business reward availability. Otherwise, you can try and request an upgrade on the day of travel when you're at the airport um, or by calling the, the Velocity call center. Um, and this is usually given, you know, in the day or so before the flight, as long as there's any empty seats still available in business class. To use a platinum upgrade, you normally have to be booked on an economy flex ticket. But as a special promotion, economy choice tickets are also eligible until the 31st of January next year. So um, you can book a cheaper ticket and upgrade from there. And actually, what I've been seeing lately is that on a lot of routes, Virgin's economy flex tickets are pretty much the same price as the business class tickets anyway. So it definitely makes sense that Virgin is currently allowing upgrades from economy choice. But I do wonder what's going to happen after the 31st of January. Are they going to put up the price of business class tickets or are they going to extend this or will the upgrades no longer make any sense? I'm not sure what exactly they're planning to do there. Anyway, the final option to upgrade on Virgin Australia is to bid for an upgrade via what they call the Upgrade Me Premium Bid System. And Economy Choice and Flex Fares are eligible to um, bid for an upgrade in this. Um, again, it's kind of like a silent online auction. So how this works is you can choose to place any bid amount between the minimum and maximum range provided. And of late, I've found that the minimum bids are very, very reasonable, actually. Like, um, uh, it's only $50 for um, the minimum bid for an upgrade on a flight from Melbourne to Adelaide or Melbourne to Canberra. And on Sydney to Melbourne, the minimum bid's only $70. So at that price, I mean, why not? And especially if you don't already have um, have velocity status, um, as not, not only do you get a business class seat by upgrading, but you get lounge access, priority boarding, priority check-in, um, and extra baggage allowance. So um, for $50 or $70, um, and even on a longer flight like Brisbane to Adelaide, the minimum 
minimum bid is only $100 at the moment. So it, um, it definitely could make sense to um, place a minimum bid and see how you go. And that is what some people do. They just, you know, bid the minimum amount or slightly above it and just hope for the best. And actually a common strategy is to bid maybe 5 or $10 above the minimum amount because, um, of course, you, you don't know how many other people are bidding and you don't know how much they've offered. But uh, some people just assume that most other people are going to offer the minimum amount. So if you offer even $5 more than the minimum, you might already be ahead of um, the other people in, in the upgrade queue. Um, but yeah, it is always a bit hard to know what the right amount is. Obviously, you don't want to bid too much um, because that's a waste of money. What I personally normally do is wait until about a week before the flight and then check Expert Flyer or check the Virgin website to try and get an idea of how many business class seats have been sold so far. And if the cabin is still looking pretty empty, then I know I can probably just bid the minimum or close to it and the upgrade will likely be successful. But if there's only a few left, uh, a few business class seats left for sale, the cabin's looking pretty full, then a higher bid might be required. Clearly, many travel businesses have struggled during the COVID-19 lockdowns and border closures. And as a website all about travel, Australian Frequent Flyer has unfortunately been no exception. Clifford Reichlin is the owner of AFF, and for this final podcast of 2021, I thought I'd invite him on for a bit of a behind-the-scenes look and a chat about how AFF has fared throughout the COVID-19 pandemic and some of the challenges involved in running a travel website during a pandemic when nobody can travel. Clifford first joined me back in episode two of the AFF On Air podcast. In fact, he was my very first guest on this podcast all the way back in January 2019 when we first started. But a lot has obviously happened since then. So welcome back to the podcast, Clifford. Thank you, Matt. And nice speaking to you again. I know we speak almost every day, but um, this is the first time in a while I've spoken on the podcast again. Yeah, now our listeners get to hear from you as well. So, as I mentioned, um, AFF has been obviously impacted by COVID. What have been the main challenges from a business perspective of um, trying to run the site during a pandemic? AFF's all about travel, and travel basically ended. That had a dramatic impact on, well, firstly on our traffic. We experienced a drop of about two-thirds in terms of page views. So, in other words, we were only showing about a third of the number of pages which we usually show. That created all kinds of problems, probably the most important being a massive drop in revenue. Our site depends um, primarily on advertising revenue, and the fewer pages we show, uh, obviously the less revenue we get. I guess, and, and also the quality of our, of our advertisers dropped as well, because the, the key, the key what I call the premium advertisers, didn't really advertise during the pandemic. So um, those spots were filled by... Um, I guess to put it politely, lower quality advertisers paying a lot less. Yes, so our our traffic dropped and our advertising revenue dropped dramatically. Yeah, so obviously it's been a difficult time, but AFF is still around. Uh, We've come out the other side and hopefully we'll have some brighter times ahead. So what has kept AFF going throughout the pandemic? Well, Matt, I guess the most important thing which kept us going was was our loyal supporters. As you know, AFF is free to use, but um, our members are encouraged to become an AFF supporter. You know, they pay a small subscription fee and they get an ad-free experience on AFF. Our supporters are great. They they loyal. They continued almost without exception to support us and maintain the subscription you know, throughout the pandemic. There were times, you know, the bleak months in winter months in 2020, where virtually our only revenue came from from the subscription fees our supporters paid. So um, I really want to thank them all for that. 
We also um, did get some revenue from some unlikely sources, um, some unlikely advertising sources. I'm not sure if it was a, if it was a pandemic thing, but um, a number of, um, of alcohol and wine companies started advertising on AFF, and that was obviously welcome. We also have had some new um, advertisers, um, SNP being one of them, and I know SNP are advertising on, on this podcast. So you know, I'd like to thank them as well because they certainly helped us through a tough time. Mm. And I mean, AFF is primarily a, a travel-related forum. You know that most of the discussion is normally about travel, but there is now now quite a large wine section as well. And of course, there was a lot of discussion of lockdowns and COVID and and travel cancellations and refunds of that kind of thing. But obviously, um, with a lot of people locked up in their homes and uh, you know moderating an online forum, particularly one about travel, when people can't do that, is is um, going to be quite tough. What have been some of the main challenges in in moderating the community forum? throughout the pandemic okay yeah um that's another interesting point and the i think you know, the pandemic caused massive divisions in us in our society generally i mean and that's evidence today from what's happening in melbourne every weekend virtually with, with the protests on the street and this love antagonism and society is quite um fractured um and that is reflected completely on AFF, where we are also a community and um, there's quite a diverse opinion of, um, of views about lockdown, about vaccines, et cetera, et cetera. So unfortunately, things get heated at, at times at certain forums. And um, yeah, it became quite difficult. Our moderators did a fantastic job keeping the peace and ensuring that the conversation remained civil and um and that AFF could you know could, could continue to to flourish um yeah i mean our moderators are a fantastic bunch and i um i want to take this opportunity to thank them as well um we have six moderators and um it'll be really hard to find a forum anywhere in the world where um we've had they've had the same set of moderators for such a long period of time some of our moderators have been moderating for 15 years on AFF, which is which is fantastic. Yeah, and obviously, um, you know, as well as being an online community, there are normally outside of pandemic times, um, there are regular in-person meetups, um, you know, in airport lounges, dinners, and uh, and even the, the annual weekend gathering and things like that. Unfortunately, this year, the annual gathering at Newcastle had to be postponed for 12 months. So it was just not feasible for people to be able to um, travel interstate and to attend there. But um, we'll, be, we'll be seeing a few more meetups next year. We will. The meetup for um, which, which was scheduled last year in Newcastle has been really postponed till next October. And I know um, Benny Bars did a wonderful job in planning that get together. And um, the way I understand it, it will just continue um, as planned just a year later. So that's certainly going to continue and all being well. Other, the other meetups um, are, are happening continually. I mean, and that, that's all promoted on the website. So that should be available you know, for, for those who are interested. Um, yeah completely unrelated to the pandemic there was also uh you might remember aff was offline for three days back in april <laughs> do you remember what happened there and uh, did you want to give a bit of a behind the scenes um uh, insight into why, why aff was offline for three days back then sure no problem yeah <laughs> i don't i won't easily forget that day it was a monday morning i was working in, in my office and i noticed that aff went down it doesn't happen often but server does go down occasionally However, after an hour or so, I noticed it was still down. So I contacted our, our server administrator, and he did, did some investigation. It turns out that um, the data center where our server is located in is in a town called Ogden, Utah, in the U.S. 
that town had a power outage, and it was the Easter Sunday there in the U.S. The generators in the data center kicked in, but unfortunately one of them caught fire, of all things. And um, the sprinklers came on, which flooded the server room. The power company then turned off the power for the, in the whole data center. Because it was the Easter weekend, there wasn't much um, support. So um, the power was off for ages, and they had to go through every single server to determine whether or not the server was flooded before they restored the power. Um, the, the big problem I had was that um, I knew we had off-site backup, but I wasn't sure how long the server would be down for. After about two days, um, yeah, I pulled the plug on, on that data center, and we've now since moved um, our server to a different location, which is supposedly more secure. But yeah, it was pretty, um, I mean, this is the first time in, in 20 years that um, we've had such a long outage. Um, an outage of an hour or even two or three hours is kind of bad, but acceptable. But for two days, it's just completely unacceptable. Yeah, and I remember that that was about the same time that Jacinda Ardern announced the Trans-Tasman bubble. Um, and so I was hoping to go on AFF and, and follow the discussion about that. But of course, there wasn't any because the, because the site was down. Yeah, no, really, really frustrating. And yeah. actually, what actually happened, Matt, was that I asked our um, server administrator to, um, to set up a new server at a different location. And the plan was to actually restore from backup. But what happened was the um, our server at the original data center did recover. So we managed to go back online with the original server and then moved it across. So at the end of the day, we didn't actually lose any, any data, just, just the time, really. Oh, who knew that uh, running a, a website would be so complicated? Our listeners probably have picked up, or if they remember you from episode two, that you're originally from South Africa. Um, you were planning, I believe, to return to South Africa this week to visit your family over there, but um, you're still in Melbourne. What happened? Well, I yeah, as, as you're saying, I'm originally South African, and I, I do generally, I do try to go back to Cape Town every year. I obviously didn't last year during the pandemic. Um, so the first opportunity, you know, once the borders opened, I booked a paid flight on Singapore Airlines to Cape Town. I was meant to leave last Wednesday. As you know, the new variant um, hit on the weekend before I was meant to leave. Yeah. But I thought I'd, I'd go anyway. I, I was fully aware of the risks, but um, you know, I hadn't seen my family for two years. And you know, I've been stuck in Melbourne you know, during our lockdowns. I thought, no, bugger it, I'm up going. Um, so I had every intention to go. Unfortunately, Singapore Airlines um, had a few problems with, with my flight. And um, it was cancelled and rebooked a number of other flights, but it never materialized because the, they kept changing the, the routing, they kept changing the, some of the, some of the sectors weren't confirmed. So it became very problematic. Also, I did have a concern that I might be exposed to the virus and I didn't really want to infect people in Cape Town with, with the virus. My mom is getting, um, she's, you know, she's getting on and um, I, I was going to stay with her for much of the time and I just didn't want to take the risk. Anyway, so last Thursday, I pulled the plug and um, decided to defer the trip. I'm getting my booster in um, in the middle of January, or January. So I do plan to rebook the trip um, probably early February, and hopefully by then things are settled. And um, yeah, I can have a better trip. Yeah, and hopefully by then um, the Australian government will have removed the extra restrictions on people coming back from Southern Africa, so you won't have to do the two weeks of quarantine. That is a factor as well. Um, I, 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 have re, I have booked on a Qantas Award flight early February, although I'm not particularly confident that that flight will actually operate. But I think I'm, hopefully, I'm hoping that by then there'll be more options available. Yeah, 
fingers crossed. And you had a bit of a hard time dealing also with the Singapore Airlines call center with all of those changes to your flights as well. Yeah, Matt. I saw your article this morning about the Qantas call center, which uh, you know, I um, occur 100%. To be honest, the Singapore call center wasn't that much better. I, try, I mean, I must have called them three or four times. Each time I would have held on for at least an hour before getting through to an operator. I guess a bit like the Qantas School Centre, they, they couldn't really help me. Um, they'd give generic answers and um, they'd keep putting me on hold to get um, further advice. So it was pretty frustrating. I actually found it easier to email Singapore Airlines and I'd get an email response, um, you know, and I guess a, a more informed response from via email than, than through the call centre. So all in all, it's pretty disappointing um, experience yeah i mean well i know we were having a discussion the other day just amongst ourselves about which was worse the singapore airlines call center or the Qantas call center um and yeah there has been a lot of discussion on aff just in the last few weeks particularly about the um the Qantas call center and and you mentioned also the article um that i wrote about about some of the issues there now there is a long-running thread on AFF about the long-standing issues of the Qantas call center. It's called Qantas call center long wait times, and I noticed that in that thread you've posted a one three hundred number, which is the it's a priority number that is given um, out by staff at the airport, and it rotates every few weeks. But it does get you theoretically um, better service and faster service when you call Qantas because it's designed for people who are traveling that day. Do you want to share the story about that number? Sure. Um, well, as, as you said, you know, that thread has been around for a while, and our members continue to complain about how poor the Qantas call center is and you know, how difficult it is to get through. Personally, I've, I've, I've had experience in the past where I've waited hours to, to speak to somebody. A couple of weeks ago, I was, I was contacted by one of our members who um, was aware that Qantas do, do have a number of numbers which they rotate and make available to um, people at the airport. And this member felt that it's only fair that this, number, that this number should be shared with the broader community. I did think whether or not I should publish the number, and eventually decided I should publish it because I think it's important that um, Qantas customers can be serviced. And if Qantas makes the number available to some people, it should go to everybody. So the number is published. It has changed a couple of times already, and you know, you know, I'll endeavour to ensure that the current number is always available on our website. I, I did wonder as well about whether it should be published. And but to be honest, if Qantas, if you could just call Qantas on the regular number and just get a, even a basic level of decent service, um, then it wouldn't be needed. And the fact that they're not even providing that basic service, I think you know, since this number is available, why not share it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, 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 I think it's outrageous to expect your customers to be on on, on hold for at a time and receive, and receive poor service. So I think that anything we can do to improve things, you know, I think is, is good and is, is, is only fair as well. Yeah, and I mean, I read I read a post on AFF um, just recently that somebody waited in total 71 hours on hold with Qantas just to change a, the date of their flight, and they still didn't get it resolved after 71 hours on hold. Um, so, I mean, this just, it's completely outrageous. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is what AFF's all about, really. It's a community of um, people who are interested in travel, interested in frequent flyer programs, and want to help other other people to get more out of it. Absolutely, yeah. It's, um, that's what it's all about, as you say, and it's all about, all about sharing information um, this isn't the first time we've shared information which um, the airlines haven't haven't liked, but um, that's the way it is. You know, this is what we do. This is our, our, our lifeblood, and you know, we, we, we share what we know for the benefit of our community. Absolutely. Well, Clifford, thanks very much for joining me again on the podcast. 
No problem, Matt. And um, you have a great break. You've deserved it. And um, yeah, have a great Christmas. And um, looking forward to your contribution next year as well. well. Thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. Finally today, I've had another question on the AFF on-air discussion thread from Mike Barouche, who writes, Are you aware of the hack of joining a Core Plus Explorer Plus membership through Indonesia, where it costs only 4.1 million rupees, rough that which works out to be roughly 403 Australian dollars, and you get two free nights instead of paying $399 to join a Core Plus Explorer through Australia, and then you only get one free night? Uh, it doesn't seem to have any problems with my Melbourne address, Mike says, and I'm likely to pay, but I thought I'd ask for your thoughts first. Also, my leisure travel is generally limited to school holidays, so are the free nights and 50% discounts generally available during that time? Well, it's a really good question, Mike, and um, as you've noticed, the pricing is different for a Core Plus in different countries. And yes, in Indonesia, you do have the option to get an Explorer Plus membership, which comes with two free nights, um, for pretty much the same price as a standard Explorer membership in Australia, which only comes with one free night. Now, if you're not familiar um, with a Core Plus, this is the uh, sort of a core subscription membership membership program where you get a free night at a hotel, you get 50% off dining at a core hotels, you get some access to red hot deals, they call them. And, and there's a few other sort of benefits with a core. Um, you also get a core silver status thrown in. Um, now, there's two questions here, really, Mike, which I'll answer one at a time. And the first one is whether there's any issues for signing up for an Indonesian core plus membership, if you live in Australia. Uh, quite honestly, I've never tried this, so I don't know. Um, I'll be honest about that. There's, um, I did just um, have a look on the website, though. I went into the Indonesian website, which um, interestingly is, is actually available in English, which is helpful. Uh, and I signed up with an. I tried to sign up with an Australian address, and it seemed to accept it just fine. So, which is which is also what you found. I also had a look at the terms and conditions, and I couldn't see anything to say that you had to live in Indonesia. So, honestly, I don't really see why it wouldn't work. Um, I mean, there's there's a possibility that it might go wrong, but um, yeah, I I don't. There's no obvious red flags here for me, and I did also notice that someone on AFF there's a thread about this, and they said that they did this a few years back and didn't have any issues. So you should probably be okay. The second part of your question, though, comes down to whether it's worth it in terms of like are the free nights and the discounts available during school holidays, which is when you'd actually be able to use them. Now, of course, if you can take full advantage of the both of the free hotel nights and you often dine at a core hotels with at least one other person, then it probably is worth it uh, for the cost savings. But it's not quite as easy as it might seem to get value from this. Yes, there are blackout dates when redeeming the free nights. These are not always available. And at some hotels, they might be available um, very rarely, in fact. Um, so finding availability for the free nights with a core plus could be especially difficult during school holidays, which is, as you say, when you would be able to use them. So that's definitely a problem. The 50% dining discount is generally available year-round, so being school holidays shouldn't make a difference there, although you need to be dining um, with at least one other person to get the full 50% discount, otherwise I believe it's only a 25% discount off the top of my head. And some hotels also just make up their own rules and conditions, like um, I was reading that there's a hotel in Perth that requires you to order at least two main courses to get your discount, which is not really in a core rule, it's just um, the hotel making it up as they go. 
I wrote an article about a Core Plus membership back in February of this year, and the comments section on this was quite interesting. There were actually a lot of complaints from current and former Accor Plus members warning people against um, buying the membership, and they were saying that they found it difficult to use their free nights, among other issues. Um, there were a few people also that said that once you join, they make it quite difficult for you to terminate your Accor Plus membership. Um, they might hassle you to renew, and um, they, there's also some IT issues that happen with your Accor status after your Accor Plus membership lapses. And that what these people said is that once you're no longer in a, in a Core Plus member, they're not really in a hurry to help you, which is which they found a bit annoying. So in short, yes, it might be good value, but there are some catches. Uh, and I would also point out that if you happen to have an American Express Platinum card, you can get a, a free Accor Plus membership as a benefit of having that card. So that could be another avenue other than paying to join, even with the Indonesian hack. Well, that's all for me for this episode and for 2021. We'll be taking a short break over Christmas and New Year, but I'll be back with new episodes of AFF On Air towards the end of January. Thanks so much for listening, not only today, but also over the last three years. I kind of find it hard to believe that this podcast's already been going for three years. Uh, and whenever I happen to meet listeners, they often tell me that they really enjoy the podcast and get a lot out of them. So it's really, really great to hear. And if you have been enjoying listening, I would really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it only takes a minute or two to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Of course, I do enjoy reading the reviews, but they also help more people to find the podcast. So you'd be doing us a big favor if you could do that. Have a wonderful Christmas. And if you're going away, I hope you have a safe trip and I'll see you again in the new year.